I'm Hillary McClure, Vice President of Multimedia Productions at Cybercrime Magazine. I'm here today with Roger Grimes, data-driven defense evangelist for Know Before, the world's first and largest new school security awareness training and simulated phishing provider that helps you manage the ongoing problem of social engineering. To learn more about Know Before, visit knowbefore.com. Roger, welcome. Always a pleasure to be speaking with you. Yep, always glad to be speaking to you, Hillary, and everybody else who attends. So Roger, Dropbox just disclosed a breach after hackers stole 130 code repositories after gaining access to one of its GitHub accounts using employee credentials, which were stolen in a phishing attack. Can you tell us more about this breach, how it was successful, and I guess also, you know, how Dropbox has responded? You know, probably the most relevant thing to me is that it was a social engineering phishing attack against an employee who was protected by a one-time password multi-factor authentication device. The one-time password is, you know, those devices that give you a four or usually six-digit code. Thank Google Authenticator, Microsoft Authenticator, the RSA Secure IDs tokens, but they have this, you know, number code that is flashing on the screen that is only good for a limited time. Say these days, I think 30 seconds is probably the most common time, or maybe a minute, or maybe I think I've seen up to maybe 10 minutes or something like that. Although sometimes they can be good in perpetuity, which is not necessarily a good thing. So this employee got socially engineered. They were able to get the employee's GitHub username and password. That allowed the attackers to get into the employee's GitHub repository. We could have a whole show just on GitHub compromises. They are super, super compromised. GitHub is a really common place where many people will store their source code and code you can do it publicly. It tends to be a bad thing because people are always leaving unauthenticated code there or code that could be abused by not having authentication, or they're leaving their credentials, login credentials in the code, or they have APIs that can be abused. It's like uh, we could do an entire episode just on GitHub abuse. But so the attackers, you know, logged in as this employee to their GitHub portal. And then we're able to see, you know, what Dropbox says, they're able to get the code and data around a few thousand names and addresses that belong to Dropbox employees, current and past customers, sales leads and vendors. So they're saying just, you know, out of their over 700 million registered users, only a few thousand names and addresses were leaked. That's good to hear. Sometimes you wonder if that is exactly accurate, but let's take them on their face that it was incredibly accurate. A lot of people, when this broke yesterday, I've got a lot of emails from people because they know I'm always ranting on, make sure you use phishing resistant MFA. And anybody that follows me or follows this podcast knows that I frequently say that and tout that one-time password MFA solutions are not phishing resistant. So, you know, there are a lot of people waking up today saying, oh my goodness, MFA can be fished. And, you know, and then people that have read my stuff and listened to us talk for over a year now about it, it's got to be the most popular topic that you and I talk about, have learned that most MFA can be fished. And here is yet another example of another vendor. And it's, it's happened many times in the past, right? Twitter was compromised in the same way. MFA protected people. Cisco, Cisco Talos was compromised. I mean, so MFA in general is no panacea. 
against stopping these sort of attacks. And it got me to thinking that I had a lot of friends saying, well, thank God I have fishing resistant MFA or I have Fido or whatever, and we can't be fished. And I had another person email me and say, Roger, I thought you said any MFA can be hacked and this vendor that you like, and I do like this vendor, saying they can't be fished. Is it true they can't be fished? And I'm like, no, it's not true. There is a big difference between I'm fishing resistant and I can't be fished. And so let me be clear to any listener that any MFA solution can be hacked. Any MFA solution can be socially engineered and fished around or with, however you want to look at it. And, you know, I encourage, and so does many other people that you use fishing resistant MFA, but just know that they can all still be fished. And I've got lots and lots of examples. Yeah, I have people when I tell them, your solution can still be fished. They're like, no, it can't. And then I give them like 10 ways and they're just sitting there with their mouth dropped open. <laughs> you know, like, oh my goodness, I didn't think about all of those. And I'm like, that's just what I can think of over the top of my head right now. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that phishing resistant MFA and, and hacking MFA is definitely a topic that we've discussed. I agree with your statement on that. And I guess to continue that conversation, CISA released a memo, I believe earlier this week, which is strongly urging all organizations to implement phishing resistant MFA, which is big news because as we've discussed many times and as you've been, you know, publicly promoting, there's the need for phishing resistant MFA and that's historically been just totally forgotten when CISA and others are talking and promoting MFA. But Roger, what's your take on what CISA has outlined here? And I guess, do you think that you may have had some influence? Ah, so CISA, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, which I love that they have security twice in their name, CISA, led by the awesome Gen Director Jen Easterly, is doing a great job. They're promoting phishing-resistant MFA. They put out a document, which I read the document, and I really like it, and I really like what CISA is doing. And I have to think, I'm not the first that said don't use fishable MFA. I'm probably among you know, the early proponents trying to get the message out there since for the last, at least last five years, don't use fishable MFA. I have absolutely been the loudest voice and the most frequent voice. And I probably, no exaggeration, ridden 50 to 100 articles about fishable MFA and not to use fishing resistant MFA. I've given, and again, I'm not exaggerating, probably 500 to 1,000 webinars and talks on it. I wrote a book called Hacking MFA, which talked about this. And I constantly, at least, you know, on average, I'd say once, twice a week, I write or comment on something along this same thing. And certainly I have talked with CISA about this saying, hey, I think y'all need to promote phishing resistant MFA. And senior management from CISA has reached out to me and said, hey, just want to let you know we're pushing out a stronger message about phishing resistant MFA. So I don't know if I had anything to do with it, but I probably my two years of constant harassment and probably at least even harassing CISA probably for a year about, hey, y'all need to get stronger on this phishing resistant MFA. And them even reaching out to me and going, hey, just want to let you know we're kind of changing our messaging a little bit. I tell you what, they do have one big distinction in the memo versus what I carry. And it was something that was a distinction they pointed out when they were telling me they're going to push this message stronger is that I don't believe in using fishable MFA at all. I think it's a waste. Let me say 99% of the industry believes that you should use any MFA, even if it's fishable. And the CISA document says you should use any MFA, period, 
but if you can use fishing resistant MFA, and certainly they're trying to encourage vendors and people to use fishing resistant MFA. And I'm even working with NIST on that as well, which is kind of a, a nice little thing. Hopefully could actually have something coming out of NIST on a document I'm working with them on. And so excited about that, but I'm not a, you should use any MFA. I think that if that's all you have, because a lot of times you don't get to choose what MFA you're using. You go to your bank and they're using SMS-based text or something, which is really hackable, you know, or your employer says, this is what you're using. Most MFA that we're all using, like if you go to Facebook and Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, it's like, you should use MFA. Well, they're pretty much forcing upon you the type of MFA that you have to use. And maybe some of the better ones, you know, like Google will give you a selection of MFA that you can use. But, you know, a lot of times you don't have a choice. So I would say that you should use MFA. But anytime that you have a potential to select an MFA option, to evaluate, purchase, buy, or use, if you have a choice, you should use a fishing resistant form of MFA. I don't believe that you should use any MFA because 90, 95% of it is as easy to hack, still bypass as a password. And the entire reason, or at least the biggest reason why we're all going from passwords to multi-factor authentication is because of all the theft and social engineering and phishing around passwords. And if I can socially engineer fish bypass attack, still your MFA credential, well, why go through all the effort? You know, like you're making people go through all the hardship, the friction, as we call it, the friction of moving from passwords to MFA. It's taking time. It's taking resources. It's taking education. It's causing frustration. And if you're doing all of that, if you're going to take the time, the money, the resources, the education and the frustration that you're going to cause with the friction, go to something that actually gives you far better security value. So I am still a big proponent and will always be a loud proponent for you should use phishing resistant MFA. It's a really small point because the system memo really says the same thing as well, right? But they say you should use any MFA. And I literally don't want to open my mind up to it, although it is in there. I'm saying, okay, maybe you have this not so great MFA option, this fishable MFA, easily fishable MFA. My distinction is, is that going forward, you should always choose a phishing resistant option. I do not think picking intentionally today, going forward, a fishable MFA option, if you have a phishing resistant option available to you, is a good decision. I think some people reading the CISA memo might think that, oh, okay, they said to use phishing resistant, but you know, hey, if I can't use that, I should use any MFA. You know, it's really just a nuance in the messaging. And I'm probably going to err on the side of being more of a jerk because, and let me say, when I say use phishing resistant MFA, that's only like 5% of the stuff we have today. So I'm really being a jerk to a whole lot of vendors and solutions that actually might provide better value. Microsoft, as an example, and Google will tout statistics saying that, you know, 99% of logon hacking is prevented by using even their fishable solutions. I am not somebody to tout or recommend or suggest or say, great job, you went to a fishable MFA option. No, I am going to be militant and consistent 
saying that you should be, again, the best of your ability going to a fishing resistant MFA option. You know, I don't want to say that you should be allowed, uh, hey, it's just a little bit worse. Go to any MFA option when there are many fishing resistant options out there. That would be my big difference. That's an important distinction that I think needs to be communicated to people. And let me say also that, let me go back to the primary point, which is just because a solution is fishing resistant doesn't mean that it's not fishable. Even your most hardy, strong MFA options, the MFA options that I personally love can be fished. And people are like, well, you know, how is that possible? Like, you know, the most common fishing attack against MFA is what's known as the man in the middle attack or what Microsoft and a few others, it seems to be growing in popularity, call adversary in the middle attacks. You know, the common scenario would be that you're using some MFA, fishable MFA solution, and I as an attacker send you a phishing email that has a rogue link in it. And then you click on the rogue link thinking you're going to a valid website, you know, to where you thought you were going in the first place. But really the attacker's rogue link sends you to a man in the middle website or service that then proxies you to the real website that you thought you were going to anyways. And so now that man in the middle website service is able to capture everything the user types and that goes to the, the real server and everything the real server sends back to the user. But man in the middle website services in the middle of that communication pathway and they can capture the four or six digit code or the access control token cookie. And essentially, if your MFA solution doesn't know that there's a man in the middle attacker or can't figure out how to stop that attack, then I would say that it's easily fishable. And when I tell people use phishing resistant MFA, that's what I'm saying. Use an MFA solution that is not susceptible to man in the middle attacks. But there are lots of other social engineering attacks that your phishing resistant solution could be susceptible to. And, you know, like a really common one is your endpoint could be compromised. A lot of phishing and social engineering, especially emails and text messages and stuff, involve tricking a victim into downloading malware from a malicious document or maliciously compromised website or something. When that Trojan horse program gets on the system, it's game over. That Trojan horse program or virus or worm or whatever now really could have complete control of that system and nothing, no MFA solution, not the strongest MFA solution you can come up with is going to stop what an attacker could do because they've compromised your endpoint. Right. So that involved social engineering, didn't involve a man in the middle attack, but still can get around your MFA solution or anybody in the pathway of your MFA solution. So sometimes the vendors of the MFA solution or the people implementing it get compromised. Right. That happened at Twitter. You know, Twitter got compromised and by an employee that got socially engineered that had MFA. And then lots of people that were using MFA to log into their Twitter account, you know, Bill Gates and Elon Musk and all that stuff, they had their accounts taken over because an employee of Twitter got taken over. Again, involved social engineering, but, you know, they were able to take over other people's accounts. Most of your MFA solutions have a ways to do recovery, like you've lost your MFA solution or it's not working. And most of the popular options, certainly Microsoft and Google and Twitter and Facebook and all that stuff, have this recovery option where you can go, hey, my MFA solution is not working or my password or whatever. 
and you can then recover the account and they'll send you an SMS text or something like that. And bad guys have learned how to compromise that, you know, so they can actually take advantage and socially engineer the recovery option. A really common one is, you know, if I know you use Gmail with a multi-factor, I can send you a text on your phone and go, hey, I'm from Google security. We've detected a rogue action and we're going to send you a code and we need you to send us that code to make sure you are the real, you know, Roger Grimes or whatever. And then all I do is go into Gmail, put in your Gmail email address and tell it to recover your account. It will send you, the victim, the code. And if the victim types this code back in response to that message, it's game over. Again, I can think of 10 different ways that social engineering can still be used and phishing can still be used to bypass most MFA, even the phishing resistant MFA. And that doesn't mean that you shouldn't use it. Everything's hackable, everything's fishable, everything's social engineerable, but it means that there's a difference between phishing resistant. Phishing resistant, at least in my mind, the way that I say it, is that it's not susceptible to the most popular type of social engineering, which is man-in-the-middle attacks. When I hear that an MFA solution prevents man-in-the-middle attacks, I call it phishing resistant because you as an MFA solution are putting down one of the largest types of social engineering against MFA. But don't say that you're unfishable because I can fish the heck out of your solution. There are 10, at least 10, if not 20 other ways that you can be compromised that don't involve man-in-the-middle attacks. And again, I've had people tell me, oh, Roger, vendors you like that you've promoted as being phishing resistant that you like that I've done webinars with and stuff. Somebody will email me and tell me, oh, their advertising says they're unfishable. And I get why they're doing it because they've heard the term phishing resistant and somehow taken it, oh, it can't be fished. Maybe Roger Grimes said it can't be fished. No, Roger Grimes didn't say that. Our society has this problem in general where we take specific statements like, hey, this solution is phishing resistant, resistant, like antibiotics, resistant to diseases. <laughs> and then society has this problem in that it takes a specific claim like phishing resistance and then makes this overly broad statement of, hey, I'm not fishable when it's not true. And so I actually emailed a vendor that I really like, probably one of the MFA solutions I like the best. And I told them, hey, you're telling people you're unfishable. And if you don't stop that, I'm going to put you on my bad list. <laughs> that vendor who responds to me daily and talks to me, we're friends. They have not responded to my statement. Let me be clear. If you're saying you're unhackable, unfishable, I'm going to put your MFA solution on Roger Grimes's MFA solutions I do not like. And I don't care for friends. I don't care if you otherwise have a really good product that people should use. Don't make overly broad claims that aren't true. You got a blacklist. I don't want to be on your blacklist. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess to quickly continue this conversation, I, I know that CISA also published a memo at the same time, and it was centering around number matching push-based MFA. So I feel like you kind of... I think gave away how you might feel about this, but I wanted to ask you, what are your thoughts on this one? Yeah. So again, another, actually, I think very excellent memo from CISA. Push-based MFA is when you get this message on your phone. It could be to an app. It could be an SMS message going, are you logging in? And they may give you some details like your IP address, your operating system. Are you logging in right now? Approve or deny. It turns out that it's really fishable. 
actually, when I wrote my book, Hacking Authentication, I said, oh, I like push-based MFA. I'm no longer a fan. It's not on my good list. <laughs> and the reason is it turns out that people will many times approve it when they're not logging in. And it's really easy to fix. You just, you know, the biggest way to fix it is education to your end user going, hey, never approve a prompt that you did not initiate. And one of the things that I think Microsoft might've been the first, it might've been Google. And now it's, as far as I know, Microsoft, Google, and Duo are the three that I know that now do this, what's called number matching. And that the push-based message you get on your phone or in your app says, you know, do you want to approve this login? But they also put a number on the screen where you're logging in and you either have to type in that number or select that number like 24, you know? So what it does, number matching means that the person approving it at least has to be in front of the login screen. So it prevents somebody from getting a whole bunch of these fraudulent push-based logins and just being annoyed and going, I approve, right? Because they're going to have to know the number. So I think it's a good thing. I think if you use push-based authentication with number matching, it's not always called number matching. There's slight differences in the name. I think it's a good thing. And I think any push-based authentication solution you have should have it. But it actually can still be very easily socially engineered. A lot of these push-based authentications, the victims are called by somebody or, you know, called by the hacker and they're like, hey, we're with IT and we need you to approve that prompt. We're trying to install some software and, you know, we're with your IT team. And if you don't approve it, you won't get the update and you're going to be, you know, you're going to be at risk or you're going to keep getting these prompts all night until you approve them. I think it's going to be just as easy for the social engineering hacker to go, oh, by the way, the number you need to type in is 24. So I don't think number matching is going to be as successful as I initially thought. I even talked to one of my friends and coworkers, Javed Malik, and we were talking about just going, it may even be the case that it's additional user friction that doesn't really provide a lot of security benefit. Although I'm actually, I'm backtracking on that a little bit going, I actually think it's a good thing. The number matching is a good thing. I just think that overall, it, it's not going to be as protective as defenders think, because the attackers are just going to move and start going, oh, here's your number. And in a middle attack, I can send you the number just as easily, you know, as if you're using a solution without the number. You know, the same thing. If I call you to social engineer you, I can give you the number. You know, the number, I don't think it significantly increases the chances that a social engineering attack will fail, but I think it will. I mean, and that's why I backtrack a little bit. I think there's going to be some non-minor percentage of attacks, attacks against push-based authentication that number matching does prevent. So I think it's a good thing. I just don't think it's as good of a panacea as many people believe. I agree with you. I always agree with you, though. I, I always end our conversations being like, yep, I agree with everything Roger said. But <laughs> <laughs> you, You're just trying not to get on my blacklist. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to be on the blacklist. I really don't. <laughs> awesome. Well, Roger, thank you so much for joining me and, and all of our audience members out there and for weighing in on these topics. I'm sure that we will be discussing phishing resistant MFA again in the future and, and other types of push-based MFA, et cetera. But I'm glad that we were able to talk about this today. Yeah, thank you. And thanks everyone again for continuing to listen to me blather on. Thanks, Roger. I'm Hillary McClure, Vice President of Multimedia Productions at Cybercrime Magazine. Joining me today was Roger Grimes, data-driven defense evangelist for Before, the world's first and largest new school security awareness training and simulated phishing provider that helps you manage the ongoing problem of social engineering. <laughs>